You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, good Wednesday morning. I'm Glenn Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Jamie Jennings in Norman, Oklahoma. You're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for March 29th, episode 3148, brought to you today by Stateline Tech. Good morning, horse people. It's Wednesday morning. That means Jamie and Glenn are back to talk horses with all of you. Well, let's be honest. Jamie talks horses. Glenn is just here to hassle Jamie. Enjoy the show. That's right, and I think I do that very, very well. (laughs) Proud of you, buddy. Uh, We have a couple of great guests today. We have Rhoda Ferreros on. She's the head librarian at Keeneland, one of Jamie and I's favorite places, to talk about their new exhibit entitled The Heart of the Turf, Racing's Black Pioneers. We also hear an update on the HRN Saddle Pad in the latest installment of the HRN Sisterhood of the Traveling Saddle Pad. For new listeners, yes, that's a thing. That's a thing. (laughs) So we're going to get caught up on where that pad has been and what's it doing now. Plus, any weird news? Yeah, there's a few. All right. Some weird stuff happened. All right, I have a, I have some choices to do for the Auditor Post Show today, so we'll let Jamie decide when we get done uh, and do the Auditor Post Show. But unfortunately, before we get started, I have one more death in recent days of an Olympian. We had a couple of last week. A dressage leg- legend, Carol Lavelle, who earned Olympic, World Equestrian Games, and Pan American Games medals for the United States, died on March 27th at the age of 79. She was best known for her partnership with her horse, Gifted, with whom she won Team Bronze at the 1992 Barcelona Olympic Games, finishing sixth individually. The pair also competed at the 1990 and 1994 World Equestrian Games, earning Team Bronze, and uh, was the, uh, the second one of those in 1994 was the last major competition that Gifted did. Uh, they also finished fourth and fifth in the 1992 and 93 FEI World Cup Finals. I tell you what, she had such uh, an impact on the horse world. The Chronicle of the Horse honored Lavelle's dressage and overall horseman of the year in 1992. And the U.S. Olympic Committee twice named Lavelle their female equestrian athlete of the year. So, I mean, she's been honored by so many organizations, uh, the U.S. Equestrian Team, the American Horse Shows Association, and a bunch of others. So we just wanted to give our best to her family and friends at this time. And it just seems like we're losing Olympians every week now. Um, And we just want to acknowledge them for what they have done for the sport. But now it's time for some Daily Winnies. So we have one of these. Auditor Michelle Lynn Schneider has a birthday today. Happy birthday to you. Now, she only joined up about a month ago as an auditor, so this is her first birthday on the air. You know, I wonder if any of the other auditors have ever heard their birthday read on the air. They used to do that in radio. Remember, you could could call in and get your birthday on the air. I doubt they do that anymore. 
Yeah, I think there's some shows that still do stuff like that, but like we were never allowed to do that. Really? Ever. No, never. Huh? Because yeah, I think it was a very small station. It's not top forty, not top radio where you were. <laughs> it was small stations in rural uh, places. So yeah, uh, you just call Jim Bob and yeah, you let him know right, when your right. birthday is, and he'll put it on the show. Did I ever tell you my brother worked uh, in radio? My older brother worked in radio in a little station in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, had a probably a 5,000-watt transmitter, and he used to do the really, really, really old country show on Sunday nights. Uh, and it was... We gonna take a listen It was as bad as it sounds. Right. That's exactly right. That's what it was. And you know the show they put on a Sunday night has no ratings at all. Nobody's listening to that. We used to do Sunday mornings. That might be even worse. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I started out with the mid, no, 2 to 4 a.m. shift on Saturday night, Sunday mornings. Oh, oh yeah. You got to get You were lucky the drunks somehow. even listened. <laughs> I, I, I'm lucky I wasn't drunk. Um, so I, I just wanted to give a daily Winnie to somebody that I, I don't know. So a little story. I went to take Jack to the vet for his last dental a couple weeks ago and um, never got a bill. And so I called my vet yesterday and I was like, hey, I haven't, sometimes her bills go to junk and I'm like, I haven't got that bill. I don't want to get behind. And she's like, that bill's been paid. Oh, wait, no, I haven't paid it. Do you like, I haven't paid that bill. I haven't seen it yet. She's like, it's been paid. And I said, well, who paid it? She goes, I can't tell you. What do you mean you can't tell me? Somebody paid my bill? Apparently, somebody contacted my veterinarian and paid my Jack's last dental bill. And I just, whew, that's unbelievable and incredibly kind. And if I knew who you were, I would give you a thank you, like a proper thank you, but I don't know who you are, and apparently you want to... So if you don't want to remain anonymous... It was a listener, right? Send me a message. We do know well, yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, it was a... So it's, you said somebody from your podcast paid your vet bill. And that is indescribable how something like that happens and feels, and I, I didn't ask for it, and I just... Thank you so incredibly much. I just can't even believe somebody would do that and that's so incredibly kind and if i knew who you were i would give you the biggest on-air hug that you could and i'll say your birthday i don't care uh, <laughs> but no that's it's incredibly generous and kind and jack appreciates it and thank you that was awesome heartfelt thank you we do have a very cool community as you're going to see coming up in a segment we have very shortly, but um, it, we're just reminded of that all the time. You guys are so special to us. We really appreciate it. You got me crying. Jeez. <laughs> but uh, So nice. Yeah. Who would ever thought? We never thought this kind of stuff that's happened over the years and how gracious you've been to us uh, over the years. We never thought anything like that would happen when we started this in 2010. We just <sighs> things like that don't happen in real life. No, and that's you know, not a real life thing. We do a silly morning happened. show. I mean, but apparently people like real silly. radio doesn't have that crap happen. Okay, really? No, no, you get stalkers. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. This is just unbelievably nice, and I just I I wish I could 
say your name and say thank you, but apparently you didn't want me to, or it got lost in translation. So please message me if you want me to know who you are. If you don't, then just know that uh, that is um, you made you made a big impact, and I appreciate it. And I'll continue to pay that forward. So thank you. And your vet appreciated getting paid too. So. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I was like, I don't want to be behind. Like, I haven't got the bill. She's like, there's no bill. I was like, but you don't do things for free. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so funny how that just, works. Yeah, amazingly nice. So um, speaking nice. of amazingly awesome, dude, somebody talked about you in Forbes magazine. I, you, you, you shared the link and I was like, I got to read this. And it's this whole... Glenn kind of changed the way, you know, that whole saying, not asking you, Glenn, you know it, that whole saying is not, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Well, that that's something I've thought about my whole life. Like, it's not what you know, it's who you know, and business and all that. That's actually not true. And Glenn, I don't know where you heard this. Or if you I'll made tell you up. where I got it. And I'm oh. going to give her full credit is Jennifer, my wife. Whoa. She is the goes. one. She is so the it, Let me say what it is. Let me say what it is. And the saying is, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. And that is such a good point. I mean, that whole, I didn't ask somebody to pay my vet bill. I don't know her, but or him, but they just, they know me. And, and, and that's, yeah. Anyway, side note, you were in this late, tell me, tell us about this article. Well, it's Forbes magazine and I, I didn't know about it until. I've heard of that one. Yeah. I didn't know about it until somebody sent me a link and said, you're in an article in Forbes. I had no idea. And this Fran Bitterman Gross is the uh, author of the article. And I met her at the last PodFest. She was doing interviews there. She's kind of a big deal in marketing and agents, marketing agency work in New York City. And she is a dyno, dynamo. You know, I met her and it was like, okay, this is the kind of person you want to pay attention to because she knows what the hell she's talking about. And then we did this interview and I brought up that saying that Jennifer Jennifer has said that to me a hundred times during the building of the Horse Radio Network. She kept saying, it's not who you know. It's if they know you. You have to make sure they know you. She just kept reminding me that over and over again. So I say it at all my at all my talks at PodFest and at the podcasting conferences. And she, you know, who's this big wig in marketing, worked for major companies it blew her mind and she called me after and we we talked for an hour and she said you've changed my whole thinking i always thought it was the other way you've changed my whole thinking and my whole outlook on how business is done i didn't know she was going to write this article i mean the article's t- titled the power of attraction it's not who you know it's who knows you and it's the title <clears throat> i mean yeah. that's so cool so and she wrote this wonderful article. It was very well written. As I said, she's sharp as a tack. But apparently, that whole quote kind of changed how she thinks about things, and she felt strongly enough about it. And apparently, has the ability to write for Forbes. <laughs> so there's that too. Um, I think if you and I sent this article in, it wouldn't have been published in Forbes. That's because it's not who you know; it's who knows you. <laughs> apparently, but I was very flattered, and uh, now I can add that to my resume. Um, thank you, Fran. She's wonderful. I like. I love talking to her. We've talked a couple times, and uh, I, I think I can learn a lot from her too. 
Now you know each other. Yeah, I, mean, I can keep going with these. I can just keep going. So change the subject, or I'm just going to keep saying how you know people. <laughs> uh, one thing we did last night is I got together with somebody from Royal Caribbean and our travel agent, and we did our video introducing the Horse Lovers Cruise. Answered a bunch of listener questions. You can find that on the Horses in the Morning Facebook page. Just go there and look for it. You'll see the video, or in the Auditor page, you'll find the video there as well. Uh, you can go to HorseLoversCruise.com to get all the information on the cruise and i'm going to put out the audio version of that on a bunch of the horse radio network show feeds so if you don't have time to watch the video you can listen to it on your show feed and we'll do that on horses in the morning feed as well so that'll go up tomorrow uh and also there was an article speaking of articles the wall street journal did an article they did an article on this two florida towns vie to be center of the equestrian world the Wall Street Journal's doing articles on Wellington Ocala and the rivalry between Wellington and Ocala. The horse world's getting a lot of mainstream attention lately. Um, and it really went into, it was kind of funny, the article, I'll post a link to it so you can go read it, but it really went into the history of Wellington and Ocala. It kind of alluded to the fact like it's two, two, two rich people fighting over, <laughs> fighting over who's going to have the most horse people kind of went into that a little bit because obviously Wellington's an exclusive community and Ocala's becoming that. But uh, it was talking about how many people have moved from Wellington to Ocala and how many people are coming into Ocala. Uh, and it's I think it's still leaned toward Wellington being the leader at this point, but I think Ocala will have something to say about that in the next couple of years. Um, it talked about the World Equestrian Center. It just was very cool to see an article about the horse world in Wall Street Journal. That's amazing. That yeah. is so cool. So I mean, horse people in Forbes and Wall Street Journal, what's happening in this I know, world? I know. We're getting some love. I want to go to next, though. I want to go talk about something that is probably even more important than the article in the Wall Street Journal. What? It is the HRN Sisterhood of the Traveling Saddleback. <laughs> Please welcome Auditor Avery Morgan to the show to talk about the, I, you know, to be honest, I had no idea this was still going on. Glenn, years ago, decided to make a saddle pad, a Horse Radio Network saddle pad. And he sent me one and I, I like, uh, you know, I used it, but then he told me not to use it because I was always at competitions, that girl, and he didn't want me to embarrass everybody. So I kind of put it away. Well, then a saddle pad got shipped out to a listener and then they started this whole, they call it the Sisterhood of the Traveling Saddle Pads. And Glenn if tracked down who has the saddle pad right now? And it's Avery. Good morning. Good morning. So where in the world are you? Um, I am in South Central Washington State. So not the wet side. We're actually kind of, well, it's it's cold and wet now. But not the in wet general, side. <laughs> in general, we're not the, the wet, rainy, west, uh, wet side. Yep. You're just, um, it's just cold. So you cold. have this traveling saddle pad. How long have you had it? I think I, I looked it up and I think I probably got it in November. It came from Joy. Um, she had it and did a couple shows with it and then sent it on to me. And I got it right when winter started. And I was like, oh, shoot, what am I going to do with this? Um, I rode in it a couple times just at home just for fun. And then um, I finally got to take it on an outing last weekend. So... 
tell us about this. I mean, it's a baby pad, so it's not a super thick one. How has it? I mean, we started this. Y'all, y'all started this in what, like 2012? Yeah, How is and, this thing not dead? And Avery, I just I, looked it up. I think 20 pe- listeners have had it before you. I think so. I think <laughs> I'm about halfway down the list. And there's so there's about another 20 after me. Um, and yeah, it's it actually it's held up really well, surprisingly. I think we've all been taking very careful care of it. Um, it has some some boot polish stains right, you know, right at the girth area, um, as all light pads do. But other than that, you know, it's you know, it's it's holding up well. So it's a white baby pad with the HRN logo and like the sponsor spot. Mm-hmm. It's been through all of those people and it's about to leave and go to somebody else. Yes, I'm shipping it out to Jacqueline Burke today, actually. She's going to get it and uh, take it on a few more adventures. Jacqueline's out of Maryland. She's an inventor. I, we stayed at her farm during the roadshow a couple of years ago for four or five days. We had a big meetup there. Like 30 people showed up. It was great fun. And uh, I, I can bet she's excited. She's been a fan of ours since... This show started, I think. Are there rules associated with this? Like, you have to show it, you have to ship it to another state. I mean, this thing has been everywhere. What are some of the parameters that are required, if any? Yeah, I, I don't think we have any, like, set set rules, but we it comes with a little notepad, and you write in your adventures, where you've taken the pad, what you've I done Really? With I didn't it. even know about that. Oh, my God. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, so it's super fun. You can flip when I got the pad. I flipped back through and... Um, gosh, I should have should have had it right in front of me. I it's like the air, an Airbnb was. login. You know, you log it really, in. <laughs> it is, and it's so cool just to you know see what everyone else has done, and it it really brings a sense of community to the pad, just because now we can look back through, and so I'll be adding my my adventures to it, and then Jacqueline can add hers, and it'll it'll keep going with the with the pad. So it's yeah, it's a pretty cool. We'll so say, you don't but, have you to know. compete with it or anything. It's just, it's just take it somewhere. It's like, it's like flat Stanley. Just take it somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. Get it out. Get it seen. Um, and not everyone, you know, some people have just ridden around their own barn with it, but um, it's, it's more, you know, just take it, enjoy it for a little bit and pass it on. We try not to have it for too long because we know the line is long and everyone's waiting for it. So um, some people can pass it along faster than others but it's how, how long how long are you supposed to have it or send I, it off? I looked i looked there and it looked like most of us had it about three months i think, I think lisa kelly about, ice road trucker lisa kelly might have had it a little longer is she she we thought the pad was lost i think for a little <laughs> bit there <laughs> she's in alaska and i think it uh it probably did get a loss for a while <laughs> Yeah, I'm not we love you, Lisa. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> hey, she has a longer winter than the rest. Yeah, that's of us, true. So we'll, she we'll probably got it in like that. November and couldn't ride. Yeah. So, so tell us about the horse. I'm going to post the, your picture that you posted of uh, you and the horse and the saddle pad. Tell us about your horse. Yeah, so that's Freddie. He's a seven, almost well, technically seventeen. He's a thoroughbred, seventeen-year-old um, thoroughbred. I've actually had him his whole life. I bought his mom when she was pregnant and had the intention of. Um, starting him under saddle and then selling him and uh, fell in love with him. And so he's 17 years later, he's still, still with me. Um, We do lower level eventing and just kind of have fun. He's, 
He's not a real fan of super hard work, but he's <laughs> a great <am> guy. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. No, he's a he's a good guy. So yeah, we went to um, the Shauna Crash Clinic that actually another auditor organized last weekend, and uh, he did Shauna see the saddle pad? She kind of, she she didn't really say anything until um, one of the auditors asked to take a picture. So that picture that you have was taken by Allison up in Spokane, and uh, Shada was like, "You know, I thought that was a, that was something." She's like, "I was wondering what that logo, why that logo was on there." So we told her the story. <laughs> That's great. I love yeah. that. <laughs> Yeah, I love this whole story because it's not something we really started. You guys started this. Somebody else, I think it was Abby that Abby Fultz, who has been a regular guest on this show over the years, started the the. There is a Facebook page. It's HR and Sisterhood of the Traveling Saddle Pad. I will post a link to it. If you're a listener, she'll give you access. Uh, now, if you want to get online for the pad, I think you got. You got a few years yet until <laughs> to, you're probably going to end up with it. Yeah. Like I said, I think I'm about halfway down the list. So at 2012, so you probably have almost another 10 years, now, <laughs> but it'll keep coming. Jamie, I asked a- Avery yesterday, I said, how's a pad holding up and, and should it, you know, should I replace it? Is it time to replace it? And I think you were almost offended. I think people want the old <laughs> pad. I mean, they want the thing. Like, yeah, I think, you know, that's part of the charm and the magic. It's been been with so many other people, you know, that the notebook's cool. The notebook will keep going if we pass another pad around. But I don't know. I think, you know, as of right now, it's holding up. It's, it's All right. So I'm going to make an edict. Warm, Until there is four or five duct tape patches on the pad, <laughs> we'll replace it then. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. I I, I wish good. I knew what brand this was. It's a good pad. It's lasted this long. It's like <laughs> I think it's Willikers or or something oh, like that. They, oh, you're right. I, that they're not was. even around anymore, are they? No, but they made terrific pads. That's why we had them do it. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, it is 2012 <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Avery, thanks yeah. for coming on. We like to get people on who've had the pad. So, uh, Jacqueline, after you're done with it, you have to come back on too. So let's <laughs> let's make sure that happens. Thanks, Avery. Thank you guys so much. All right, bye. Thanks. Well, of course, this episode is brought to you by StatelineTech.com. And I went onto their homepage and I noticed they have uh, highlighted the grooming and bathing section because everybody's going to be grooming and bathing soon once the snow melts up north. And Scooter has just been losing hair by the gobs. I mean, just, I you know, I can just take a hand and run it over him and it's covered in hair. Uh, what do you use for shedding? You, your horses must be starting to shed. So here's what I do when I'm about to groom my shedding horse is without even thinking about it, I reach into my pocket and I put on chapstick and then I go to brush. Because <laughs> that's the smart thing to do. <laughs> Pretty much what I do every time and every time I cuss myself because then I'm going. <laughs> You didn't see that one coming, did you? No, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> um, I do not know what the magical shedding thing is. Um, I do know that a regular shedding blade works miracles on your dog. Uh, just that $3 Scooter shedding blade. Scooter doesn't like it. It's too rough for him, I think. No, I know. That's yeah. why I would love it. So I use the grooming glove, the hands-on grooming glove. Uh, oh yeah, no, those are awesome. Like I, the I, thing I, I like about those is is the hair just falls out of them. There's no banging it or <laughs> just comes so out. I've been having to teach farm boy how to groom because and he learned that in farm boy I, class. 
No, I mm. finally I was like, could you not just <laughs> scrape off the mud with your hand and like throw the <laughs> saddle on? Like get the horse. And then I asked him one time, I was like, did you pick his feet? And he goes, well, you're only supposed to do that if there's a problem. Really? No. Is that the ranch way? That's the ranch way. Only pick their foot up if there's if they're limping. And I'm like, no, no. Let me teach you how to pick a hoof. So anyway, I gave him the hands-on grooming gloves, and I'm like, Pony your club horse. One. <laughs> yeah, like your horse loves to be groomed. He's itchy all the time. Just groom him. And so he uses the hand hands-on grooming gloves, and he's doing the circles and all that stuff with the two. And then he looks down at his hands and he looks at me. He goes, "What do I do now?" Like, because the the gloves are full of hair. <laughs> and I was like, you just shake your hands. And he's like, that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, hands on groovy gloves. But as far as like the, the like, I thought you were wondering, because I see all these things, the videos of like these hair removers that just rake all the hair off, but you can't do that with a thoroughbred. So the yeah. hand-on grooming gloves are kind of the best we option. We can't do that with either of our horses. We had the, I think it's called the solo groom. Yeah, they have it right here on State Lines page. And we tried that and they both hated it because it, their skin is too sensitive for it. Uh, but they have... That's what, for how a many big old pay? draft horse, yeah. your Percheron. Yeah, your gypsy. Your gypsy. Um, so there's eight pages of grooming stuff on right now uh, from from blades for your clippers to clippers. Clippers to Vetrolin Shine, Twinkle Toes, Hoof Polish. When that came out, we had our tack shop when that came out. We sold tons of that stuff. And I am shocked it's still around, but it's still we here. We talked about this already. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, the it's Curved awesome. Mane and Tail Brush, if you look those up, they're only $2.49. I love that thing for Scooter's Mane and Tail. I use that all the time. Um, and just goes on and on. There's a ton of different products here from Quicksilver. Uh, Pessoa has a really cool tack tote that I really want. Uh, a little above my pay grade because it's made by Pessoa, but <laughs> <laughs> but you can ha you can get all of these things. Just head on over to StatelineTac.com. Coming up next, we're heading to Lexington, Kentucky. Well, our next guest is brought to you by Daily Dose Equine, non-GMO cord nutrition for horses and ponies of all ages. Jamie and I go to Lexington a lot. I live there. I uh, lived in Lexington, Kentucky for four or five years. And one of our favorite places to go was Keeneland. Of course, it's the legendary, uh, very historic, and most beautiful racetrack in the United States. Uh, and one of the things that if you're regular there or if you know about it, you check out the Keeneland Library, which has to be one of the coolest places around. Uh, they have, it's just an amazing thing that's tucked over there at Keeneland. And today we have the head librarian. Her name is Rhoda Ferraro. Hi, Rhoda. Hi there. I got to tell you, it is so exciting to have you on. Tell us a little bit about the library. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. Um, the library is the world's largest repository for information, images uh, related to the thoroughbred industry. So researchers from around the world, um, whether they are turf writers or academics um, or historians or economists, this is where um, folks who are doing research or need images to support their narratives of really any theme, person, place, horse that you can dream up of in this industry's history. This is where folks come to do that research. So 
I remember walking into the depth and the breadth of the collections is it's really extensive. I remember walking into it for the first time. There's like thirty thousand books there. I mean, it's yes, far more than that, and um, you know, far more than a million photographic negatives and prints, and um, and you know, if we talk newsprint um, in industry journals or magazines, you know, millions and millions of, of pages of those periodicals. So yeah, like I said, very extensive holdings. Wow. All right. So ten- oh, with with yeah. that, I got to ask, what what does a day in the life look like for Rhoda? Like, do you, what do you, what do you do? Are you like searching microfiche all the time? Like, how's that work? Yes. Okay. So most of our holdings here are still in print. Um, so, uh, which is, would be the case with a lot of special collections libraries like this. So a day in the life is never what you expect when you walk in the door. Um, you're fielding, um, you know, it, uh, thousands of research requests a year from folks who never enter the building. Um, they're folks that either are new to using the library or are veterans when it comes to library use. So they reach out to us, um, regardless of where they live, um, and, we, we work with them to understand what it is that they're researching, why, their target audience, um, and we do research on their behalf and kind of scan on demand and send it their way. Um, so much of our day um, is comprised by that. We also host exhibits, um, which we'll talk about our newest exhibits soon, educational programs, outreach initiatives, a lot of preservation and conservation work, lecture series, events out in the community. Um, so it really is a mixed bag. And she doesn't have to deal with teenage kids coming in all the time, which is perfect. <laughs> well, well, I do actually. Do you? <laughs> well, with field trip experiences tied to this exhibit. So, yes, we're hosting middle school and high school students uh, with this exhibit. So, Well, talk, talk about the exhibit that you have going on right now. Yes. Yeah, so we have um, really something that we are so very pleased to share with the public. I mean, this is the facility that folks have used for decades. Um, You know, if anyone is doing research on Black horsemen, on Black horsewomen, um, and opportunities, biographies, um, political shifts over time, if they need images, say, to support a book, an article, a documentary, exhibit, this is where they've come to do their work. So for years, we've been connecting people to the resources that they need. Um, but but just this year, the stars aligned and we were able to get the resources to host our own exhibit. Um, so our current exhibit is called The Heart of the Turf, Racing's Black Pioneers. Um, we opened in February. Uh, we um, do a pretty deep dish exploration of the life and work contributions of 80 African-Americans um, covering more than 150 years of racing's history. Um, so from the period of enslavement to today, um, the exhibit also um, showcases, or at least for some folks, maybe draws attention for the very first time as to why it is. What are some of the, the reasons historically, economically, that Lexington um, has been such a hub for Black horsemen? Uh, and a lot of that is tied to the history of the Kentucky Association track that was founded in 1826 in Lexington's East End. Um, it was a premier facility of the time, the, the country's oldest turf organization, only the second track in the country that had a mile long oval dirt course. So it was really state of the art. And that was um, near downtown? Yes, in Lexington's East End. Um, and, you know, this would have been premier races of the day. Uh, 
the horse farms in the area, whether they were breeding, racing, or both, um, until slavery was abolished in 1865. So we've got 40-year history at that track um, with Black horsemen that have a presence at that track um, as jockeys, trainers, backside workers, foremen for the horse farms in the area. So that, that labor, again, whether it was breeding or racing, um, from stable boys to foremen, would have been um, performed by enslaved Black men. So what we had then, um, when slavery was abolished in Lexington, was this premier track that really didn't have a lot of competition yet. I mean, this is, you know, they had many decades of total monopoly um, on racing in the state. There was no Churchill. There was no Latonia racetrack. Um, the Red Mile wasn't there yet either, right? <laughs> was, yes, yes, no. So this was it. This is where folks went. And the the, the best of the best uh, stables um would have had their horses trained, um, ridden, grooms, 24-7 care, uh, the farriers by enslaved black men. So slavery is abolished in 1865. We have this premier racing facility right in Lexington's East End. The surrounding land around that track was identified um, to um, be purchased and sold off into smaller plots for homes for recently freed slaves and their families. So we now have a, a few decades um, that really laid the foundation for a very vibrant community in Lexington's East End that still exists today. But at that time when it was new, racing was it. So we're not talking, um, you know, 15, 20 Black horsemen and their families that lived in, like, in Lexington's East End. We're talking hundreds. And four future Racing Hall of Famers lived within blocks of each other huh, in Lexington's East that. End around that track. So I don't know of another sport that kind of um, has a scenario like that, you know, where they've got four of their, their Hall of Famers just living uh, in that same neighborhood. So a lot of, a lot of um, moments in history that kind of led to that development. Um, and the horsemen, um, in the bluegrass, uh, had a lot of opportunity uh, in the late 1800s. Um, this really would have been the era of the megastar black jockeys, the extremely successful uh, black owners, trainers, very lucrative positions, very much in the public eye. There was no other competition for people's entertainment dollar. Uh, racing was it. Um, and that was, uh, and those types of opportunities were available to them for about 25, 30 years before Jim Crow laws um, really began to take hold, have traction. And, you know, a lot of those very positions positions uh, were just no longer an option for folks. Um, well, so that's, that's when things really began to change. And, you know, a lot of folks continue to stay uh, and work in the industry that they knew. Um, it would have just it tended to be in more behind the scenes roles. Um, a lot of folks took a shot at racing overseas. Um, and as we know, many of them, um, like in the case of Jimmy Wingfelt, met tremendous, tremendous success, um, you know, taking that skill overseas where he didn't have those systemic um, systems of discrimination uh, that, that really inhibited his ability to get mounts. Um, so. I know uh, there's a new book out about Isaac uh, Murphy, 
And yes. we're going to get the author on here in the next couple of weeks. She's coming on to talk about that book. Uh, yes. But, and, and we're going to host her for a lecture in May. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I'm excited to hear about that and actually to read that book. I'm really excited about that. Yes, you know, I've learned fantastic. more about the place I used to live with you in 15 minutes and I've known about it the whole time. And Jamie used to ride at Keeneland. Um, she, oh, really? Yeah. She was an exercise yes. rider. Yeah. Back when I was young and crazy and thought getting on a horse and galloping 35 miles an hour with tiny short stirrups was a good idea. <laughs> well, when you all come back, you make sure to reach out. Well, um, you know, and, and we'll give you a nice tour. Well, that, that sounds fantastic. That. That'd be so cool. So I mm-hmm. want to clarify something. So this, mm-hmm. this uh, Kentucky Association track, the one near downtown, mm-hmm. and a lot yes. of people may not know that back in the 1700s, even going further back than, than this, the mm-hmm. races used to happen in town down Main Street. Um, yes, they did. R- racing was mm-hmm. a big thing in Philadelphia, and, those, and it was right mm-hmm. through town. Again, you didn't have Macadam. You had dirt roads. So, right. you know, they used to race through town. It was a big thing. Everybody came out to watch the races. Uh, I think it's a little different than it is now, but uh, there was probably still mm-hmm. a lot of betting going on. <laughs> but There was. Yeah. yeah. And we had that in Kentucky as well. I mean, there was never not a, an option um there was just a brief period of time between 1933 and 1936. So in 1933, the Kentucky Association tracked after a more than 100 year. It closed after a more than 100 year history. And then three years later, 1936, Keeneland opens. Um, so since Lexington was founded, whether they were racing on what is now South Broadway and quarter mile heats, um, the folks of this community found ways to race their horses and bet on that. And also, when a lot of other, um, by a lot of other, I mean the vast majority of tracks across the country were hit hard by anti anti um, gambling legislation at the turn of the 20th century. Kentucky and Maryland were the only two states east of the Mississippi that weren't hit by that. So you could still legally bet on a horse. So that Kentucky Association track continued to have a different type of monopoly. So you know, once those anti gambling legislation laws hit the books in most states, Churchill. In Latonia and other tracks were in Kentucky, but all of these other tracks in the East had shut down um, either permanently that. or temporarily. So the Kentucky Association really did have um, a rich history. Uh, and you know um, what else? During Prohibition, I bet you there was still some moonshine to be had at those races in Kentucky. No, I would. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> you know the the folks that we're featuring in this exhibit are very much um, a presence in the present. Um, so the intent of this exhibit is just to share these stories. Um, and there are so many reasons why we share stories and we share stories to inform. We share stories to just enlighten, but we also share stories to inform today's decisions. So, um, you know, we, uh, spotlight workforce development issues, um, that are, are local, um, in the area, uh, with primary missions to, uh, provide hands-on experience, internships and practicums um, for people of color looking for work in this industry, regardless of the role that they want to play. And that's something else that's super special about this exhibit is that we had thousands upon thousands of people to potentially choose to highlight over a nearly 200-year history, and we chose 80. Well, a lot of the decision-making behind how we arrived at that 80s, we really wanted to showcase the variety of roles, you know, from farriers and grooms, to hot walkers to 
you know, some of the wealthiest people in the South that trained and owned um, in the late 1800s to the superstar jockeys of the past and the superstar jockeys of today, like Deshaun Parker, one of 20, uh, only uh, um, 20 other jockeys in North American history to surpass 6,000 career wins last year, or Kendrick Carmouche, the son and grandson of jockeys. So we definitely see this continuum, this multi-generational skills, knowledge base passed on. Um, I mean, it really is fascinating. There's so many people that we spotlight now that have other family members, whether it was a generation ago or four generations ago, spotlighted in this exhibit, all right here in the bluegrass. Um, and we do touch upon the lives of, of folks from other areas as well. Um, but since there was so much in the way of history that led to Lexington being a hub for black horsemen, um, and eventually in the 20th century, horsewomen, it, we definitely wanted to showcase those those uh, folks as well with all those tie-ins to local history. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. And, and I'm going to cut mm-hmm. my question about, well, we'll take that out about the Red Mile because you, what you said mate, was more important. So we'll just leave that in. Um, so I, uh, I'm going to just uh, ask you to, oh, um, we'll just cut here and I'll ask you to just how can they come and see it? When can they see it? You know, uh, mm-hmm. website, that kind of thing. All right. Three. Two, one. So how can people see this? Where, where do they go? Where can they find out details and hours and all that stuff? Yeah, so the exhibit is free and open to the public um, during the library's normal hours, Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 4.30. The library is up on the hill. We share a parking lot with the Entertainment Center here at Keeneland. Um, if, if you are interested in scheduling an exhibit educational program uh, for 5th to 12th graders, you would email me. Um, at uh, rferraro at keeneland.com. This information is available on the Keeneland Library's website. And if you are looking to schedule after hours or weekend tours for a group of adults, you know, whether you're in the industry or not, um, please feel free to reach out to me as well. Those are tours um, with guided Q&As that that we are offering on evenings and weekends very regularly. So a lot of options for folks. Very good. Well, thank you for being with us. We really appreciate it. And thank you for talking about, well, first of all, educating us on the history, which I didn't know most of, and also for talking about one of our favorite places in Kentucky. Well, thank you so much again for having me. Hanging out here with the mad scientist who developed daily dose equine horse feed formulas, Janet Geyer. And you might wonder, whenever I get my horse feed delivered to my door in Maryland or Texas or California or Missouri, am I getting the same horse feed? And the answer is? The answer is that it is always the same formula, always the same horse feed. We don't change ingredients. Uh, We are a fixed formula feed mill. Time to learn why some days you're embarrassed to be part of the human race in Jamie's Weird News. Well, weird stuff just keeps happening. And I feel like like weird news is becoming actual just normal news at this point. But there are some <laughs> even right. weirder ones that people are sending me. And I would like to thank in this last week, Lindsay, Ruth, Victoria, Clark, Nicole, and Carrie all sent me weird news stories. And I'm not going to tell you who sent what because, you know, frankly, it's none of your business. Uh, but I would like to also say that if you're just like reading news and you're like, that's really weird. Email it to me, Jamie at horse 
horseradionetwork.com, J-A-M-I-E at horseradionetwork.com with weird news in the subject line so I can find it. And uh, like I said, just like Lindsay Ruth, Victoria Clark, Nicole, and Carrie did. We're going to start with this one. <sighs> Imagine this. You're on, Glenn, you're on vacation. You and you and Jennifer, you're in Colorado. You've been, pretend you did this. You've been skiing all day. <laughs> you're ex- you mean I'm in the hospital with a broken leg? Is that what you mean? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Jennifer's been doing athletic stuff all day. And then at night, y'all decide to sit down with a nice glass of... In front of that big fireplace at the, at the lodge. Even better, yeah. oh. you go out to the hot tub oh. that's in the snow. It's out on your patio. You're you're in a rental home, and this I feel happened. Like I and, should have some sappy music playing or something. I mean, yeah, it's like you're sitting there in this snow surrounding you. You got a glass of wine, and you're sitting in the hot tub, and then you feel something grab your head <laughs> as you're soaking the tub. A man felt something while he was sitting in said hot tub, relaxing with his wife. No word on whether he was closed. Probably not. He felt something grab his head and he screamed because of the searing pain in his head. And his wife has a flashlight because they don't have the lights on, picks up a flashlight, shines it, and it's a mountain lion. What? A mountain lion reaches into the hot tub grabbed his head and raked back, put four claw marks into his head. Oh, my God. They scream, though he continues to shout at the cat, and it's just sitting there. So he takes his hands, he starts splashing water at it, like, go away, go away. She's shining the flashlight in its eyes, trying to get it to go away. Finally, it, like, saunters off to the top of a hill. They don't usually like people. They stay far away from people. You know what it did when they got to the top of the no. hill? It turned around and sat down and watched them. <laughs> Stalked them some more? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. So it sat there, and they were like, okay, well... We're going to have to get out of here. So they somehow... Oh, I, can't. I would crap myself on the spot. Uh, I mean, it would just... I would never go in a hot tub again. Uh-uh. <laughs> they managed to get into the house, clean his four scratches to the top of his head, like right by his right ear. They call the property owner, who actually works for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. They've set up traps to catch this mountain lion. He has not been found. Nathrop, Colorado. He has well, yet to be found. What was the town again? Nathrop, N A T H R O P. Let's not book a vacation for that town. <laughs> like, oh my I god! Got, yeah, that's, that's crazy. That is crazy. Up, oh, wrong one. Wrong one. What the heck is it? My order got all out of order, and now I can't find anything. You have one job. Uh, maybe I should ask you if the guy is the guy okay. <laughs> like, yeah, four scratches to his head. <laughs> Three. Two, one. We're going to go to Canada, eh? Um, let me go up to Ontario and South Simcoe, Ontario. There's a ruckus because there's a big canal that is alongside a road. And um, for some reason, somebody looked down in the canal and they're like, there's a body floating in the canal. Like a body 
floating in the canal. So police are called. The dive unit is called. Swarm, swarm, swarm. They all get there. The guys suit up. They put their little snorkels and flippers on. The police have cordoned off the area with their tape. And uh, there's a head down body floating in this canal. So they all, you know, belay down into the canal and get suited up, put their things on, go underwater. And they retrieve the body, which was a mannequin (laughs) floating in the canal. No criminal concerns at this time. The police have let everybody know. And uh, nobody knows how the mannequin got there. They were able to recover it. And it is, it's going to be fine. <laughs> Where, was it, uh, uh, you know, do you think somebody just had this and just was sick of it and just threw it out? Or or they're like, let's mess with the community. Yeah, that could be, be too. Hilarious. <laughs> that could be too. That's well, Canada. They're nice up there. I know. They're so nice, eh? Um, do you remember a story we did? Uh, I did a while ago about the two guys that were cheating in a fishing tournament at Lake Erie. Yes, yes, yes. Well, for I forget what they were doing, but I know, I remember kind of remember these they were two guys, Jacob Runyon and Chase Comiskey, have. I mean, they are like uber winners. They've won boats and giant financial prizes and money and all this stuff at different fishing competitions all over the country, and they're very well known anglers. Well, um, they went a little too far. And I guess, I guess people, because they're like, how do they keep winning? People are like, they're cheating, they're cheating, they're cheating. But nobody could prove that they were cheating. Um, but it was a $28,000 prize and they were catching walleye. And they bring their catch up and they're on the dock and the guy picks it up to weigh it. And he's like, oh, like this thing is heavy. It's a f-. And they judge them by the weight. And the judge is like, hmm, I don't really buy that this is supposed to be this heavy. So he takes a knife, fillets it open, and brrr, all these weights fall out. Like the little fishing weights, you know? They were shoving them down into the gullet of the fish. So then they all wait a little bit more. <laughs> so obviously... God, they will find ways to cheat on anything. People will. And and well, here's what, I mean, it's a scandal in the fishing competition world. See, what happened is all the other fishermen, I mean, you don't mess with a bunch of bubbas that have fishing poles, okay? Especially in Ohio. And um, the apparently all the other competitors confronted him and tried to attack him and they ran to the truck and locked the doors. They were like, get us out of here! Yeah. They do take their fishing seriously. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And in recent, like I said, they've won major prizes, cash prizes, fishing boats, all sorts of stuff because uh, now they're saying that they've probably been cheating the whole entire time, but you can't prove that. Okay. And so what happened is they um, they went to court and um, they're, yeah, they're in trouble. Uh, by the way, organizers of fishing tournaments... Because of this, now use metal detectors when they're skinny. Well, I guess that's quicker than filleting every fish that comes to get weighed, right? I guess so. I guess so. So anyway, they're in court and uh, let's see. They were each indicted on felony charges of cheating, grand theft, possessing criminal tools, illegal animal ownership. (laughs) They did plead not guilty. However, uh, Monday, each 
pleaded guilty to a felony count of cheating and a misdemeanor animal violation, and uh, all the rest of the charges were dismissed, but they are now pled guilty, and they'll be sentenced on May 11th. Okay, so you go to jail, and you happen to be in the same room as some, some gang guys, you know, who've done some serious stuff, and you got to tell them when they <laughs> ask that you're in jail because you stuffed weights into a fish? Yeah. That ain't going for? well for you in jail. Uh, <laughs> uh, fishing. <laughs> fishing drama. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to go well. I won more. <laughs> I'd be like, murder, okay? I'm hardcore. Yeah. Leave me alone. I killed it with lead weight stuffed down their throat. <laughs> yeah, I did. I'm so tough. Um, last one is just, you just get what you deserve. Okay? So there's a we're going to go down to Monterey, Mexico. No Florida stories today. Come on, people. Wow. Uh, Florida, catch up. I'm so proud. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to go to Monterey, Mexico, because there was this guy, and he was drunk. Okay? All good stories start out with there's this drunk guy. And apparently in the middle of the night hours, somewhere around the early hours, they're saying Carlos Alonso, 32 years old. He goes up to Christ the King parish church in downtown Monterey, and he's going to rob it. Okay. It's dark. He jumps over the fence in front of the church entrance. Ninja kicks a glass door, breaks the glass door and goes in and enters the church. And he's looking for stuff to steal, Glenn. I don't know if you know this, but there's not a whole lot of stuff to steal in the church. I mean, there's just, there's not like coffers of money sitting out. There's nobody you can rob. There's just, it's just an empty church. So um, he sees a statue of St. Michael, the archangel, 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 and um, decides he's going to just steal the statue. So he grabs the statue Okay, and starts to running out. Well, the statue of a, is of an angel that is holding up a sword. Well, he tries to flee with the statue. He trips and he fell. Oh, no. <laughs> on the sword. Oh, no. Did he get impaled? <laughs> he was seriously wounded. Apparently, is that instant karma or what? I mean, that's as <laughs> like, instant karma as you can get. I'm going to break into a church and I'm going to steal a statue of an angel and then trip and fall and have the knife go right the angel at stabbed him. <laughs> right in the neck. Oh! Right in the neck. So, um, apparently, some passerby saw the guy at the church doors, because I'm, I'm assuming it's getting light by now. Um, the passerby saw him called for help the monterey civil protection they call it um arrived at the scene cut the padlock on the main gate of the fence and go over and saved his life he was like bleeding out so they take him to a hospital they're treating him and once he's recovered he will be turned over to the police and he will face damage to the church <laughs> and all the things he did now the last line of the story the statue of St. Michael was unharmed. So it was St. Michael. St. <sighs> Michael. St. Michael got him. <laughs> Jeez. St. Michael right. instant karma, baby. Yeah, there's and a lesson. Is, yeah. <laughs> there's a, there's le a lesson. Yeah, there's a lesson there. Oh, my God. You couldn't make that story up. I can't. I don't make any of these up. Y'all <laughs> weird people send them to me. <laughs> Where do they do that?
You can send all your weird news stories to Jamie at horseradionetwork.com. That's J-A-M-I-E. We have a Jamie that's the other way, too, but it's J-A-M-I-E. Yeah. And thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Otters, hang on. Uh, We're going to talk about something in the post show. And uh, I'll give you an update on the parakeet pirates as well. And Friday, I hope to be coming to you from Gothi State Forest. There's a campground over there. We're taking the horses camping and going to do some riding in the woods and all that stuff. And last time we were there, they had pretty good cell reception and internet. So I'm hoping that holds so we can do the show from from the living quarters on Friday morning. And you have a special guest. Do you want to promo that quick? I'm so excited. I got to go talk to Jocelyn Russell. We've been kind of covering and following along with her secretary of monuments that she does. She's also the one that did Sergeant Reckless. And so I went and got to hang out with her and she's done some cool stuff with this one. It's chestnut and it's got blue on it. It's really, really cool. Um, And so that monument is going up to Virginia. So I popped by and visited and sat down and talked with her about it. And uh, so we'll play that on Friday. All right. Very good. Well, y'all have a terrific... We'll be dark tomorrow because it's the fifth Thursday of the month and we don't have a show. There's a lot of fives this week. Yeah, there is. So we'll we'll see you... uh, Yeah, actually only three episodes this week because of all the all the odd number Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, but we'll see you back here on Friday. Get your ads in to Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com and auditors hold on. <laughs>